Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, lead pastor here. Really glad you are worshiping with us today. And a quick announcement, um, July 1st, kind of this Friday, starts our new budget year, business year. We're going to talk a lot of business on Sunday. I just want you to be aware. There's a video that's coming out uh, this week where I just kind of talk about some opportunities, some challenges we've got in this next upcoming year. Really encourage you to watch that. You should catch it on social media, link to it, or in the email that comes out this week. Just want you to be aware of that. Um, there's this phenomenon, and you, you know, whether you have kids or not, it doesn't matter. You were once a kid, and so you're aware of this phenomenon where when a parent says, looks at one of their kids and says, hey, they're just like me. The kid's always done something good, right? They've done something really smart. Oh, I just take, take, take right after me, right? Because the kid just, you know, performed well, got good grades or whatever. Ah, oh, they're just like me. Now, if you were to say to your spouse, man, that kid's just like you. It never, me- it never means the same thing. It's always an insult. Now, this is risky because the cameras are on and my mom will eventually watch this. But um, there's this thing she would, I, she, would, she would say, and I can't believe why she would say this. She would say that I had a smart mouth, right? That somehow that I was a little sarcastic and used, you know, you know quick-witted and, you know, used, it, used these, and you always use these. Didn't always use the powers for good, right? She's you got you got a smart mouth on you, and she would always say you got a smart mouth on you, just like your dad. Now, how I didn't even, it ain't my dad. It's not it's it's not my dad. We all know where the the smart mouth came from, but we we kind of have this like like when you when you see the good in your kid, that's you. When you see the bad, it's like mm-hmm. right. That's how we are, and we kind of like this because we always like to think of ourselves as kind of the hero of the story. Now, we see this in the political debate that's always out there, and I'm hesitant to do that. It's been a very contentious week to talk about this briefly. I don't know if you see this, but you see everywhere, everybody, my team is always on Abraham Lincoln's side, right? I'm Abraham Lincoln, and you're always the Nazis. I'm Abraham Lincoln, you're the Nazis. It's, it's always true. I'm Martin Luther King, and you're the Klan. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. And you're like, mm-hmm, they are like that. No, you're like that. Like Because every, every, you want to identify yourself with the good guys in the story. And there's a, there's, a, there's a Christian version of this that happens where it's like, I'm always Jesus, and the people who think or act differently than me are the Pharisees. Well, that's just kind of how the Pharisees were. You know, Jesus didn't like Pharisees, and that's just kind of how you're being. All you have to do is find one thing that you have. Pharisees ate food too, and that's just kind of how you are. So you're a Pharisee, right? And so, and I don't know if you know what a Pharisee is. It doesn't really matter for at this point, but they were just, they were the ones that were always up against Jesus. Because we always like to identify ourselves as being on the good team. And the people who oppose me must be on the bad team. And what happens, the way that this works, is we kind of create this caricature of Jesus. We create a caricature where essentially where the things that I value, the things that are important to me, I find a story that I can use to make it where Jesus is just like me. And then I can find a story that, well, he, well, he and he is opposed to whatever it is that you are. And we have this caricature of Jesus. And I don't know if you were here last week, Kind of in this series, we're kind of talking about worshiping God with our heart and with our, with our mind. And we've been kind of going back and forth. Mark's been talking about heart. And then two weeks ago, I was here. We kind of talked about breaking the stereotype that we have of God in the Old Testament, that God in the Old Testament is always angry and judgmental. If you didn't catch that, I encourage you to go back because I think that is a, again, it is a, it's a false caricature. 
And then Mark last week, again, he was kind of talking about the heart, kind of looking at some New Testament passages. And he said this really cool thing that I kind of want to build on today, where he said, God created people in his image, and then we return the favor by making God in our image. And you hear this play out a lot. You hear people will say things like, well, well my God wouldn't do that. My God would never say that. My God doesn't, would never talk that way. My God doesn't feel that way. And I'm telling you, this is going to sound harsher maybe than I mean for it to, but maybe not. I'm not interested in what your God would or wouldn't do. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, care, what you're, I don't care what God you've invented in your head, what he, she, it, whatever, whatever it is you conceive God to be. I'm not interested. I'm interested in who God is. Well, the Jesus I follow would never talk, would, would, would never say that. I'm not interested in that Jesus. I'm interested in, in the Jesus, the actual Jesus, the actual God. And so we got a break, two weeks ago, we kind of break this idea, this stereotypical view we have of the God of the Old Testament. We have a very stereotypical caricature, I think, of Jesus. And again, we always want him to be on our side. And there's a couple of stories in particular that I think that people like to use. And again, you use them interchangeably depending on the situation. You, whatever behavior you need to justify in any given moment, well, Jesus, Jesus, and, you ha- and we have these stories. And there's two of them that we're going to look at today that I think that get used a lot that I don't think that we've completely missed the point of. I think that there, it, the, the message of these stories is a lot deeper than what we think they are. And again, they're very different stories. And so I think very, I think very often the caricature that we make of Jesus sometimes either is just being really, really sweet, or someone who was really confrontational comes from an incomplete version of one story. But if we really understand what's really happening and we can put all these pictures of Jesus together, I think we have a clear understanding then of who he is, then who I should be, and how he wants us to behave. So we'll start with a really popular one. And Mark actually referenced this one last week. Uh, and it's in John chapter 2. It's when Jesus turns over the, the tables outside the temple. And we actually get this story multiple times in all the Gospels. And so it happens at least, it would seem that it happens at least twice, like once early in Jesus' ministry and once again at the end. It's kind of, you know, the, it, basically it's in these Gospels so much. So, you know, this is clearly very important to Jesus. So let's just look at one of these instances in John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it, is, that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So this is a verse, a story that really just kind of often gets used for this idea, to kind of this, for this big idea that somehow, Je- that sometimes Jesus gets angry. Jesus gets angry. And, you know, so the, the conversation will go, someone will be kind of raging about something, going on a rant, being really upset about something and be like, I don't know if you should be angry like that. I don't think God thinks that's cool. You know, Jesus got angry. And, and we use this story because what happens, it's, it's pretty serious. I mean, it's, it's not, it's, it's, 
Again, it's, for some of us, this is going to be way outside of what we perceive to be Jesus' character. He walks in and he sees these people. And kind of make sure you understand the setup here. They, um, like you're going to the, the temple and you, you have to do a sacrifice. And so maybe whatever sacrifice you need to do, you're going to need a sheep, two cows, a few, a few birds. But you're traveling from a long way. You're like, man, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to travel with the birds. I'm not trying to bring the sheep. I'll just bring money and I'll buy sheep and birds and cows when I get there. And so these people are actually providing a fairly decent service of sorts. The problem is where they're located. Like to do this on the temple grounds is obviously Jesus finds this very offensive that you would be in God's house conducting a business like this. It was very frustrating to him. And like Mark referenced last week, they were doing this in a place where worship like the Gentiles weren't allowed to go all the way in, but there was this particular place that was designed for people who weren't Jews to be able to worship. And so there was this sense of which, hey, we're just going to take up this space because we don't really care about them. And so Jesus like, I mean, you are just disregarding what God wants his temple to be, what he wants this to be, a place of worship for everyone. And, and he gets very frustrated. He makes this whip, he drives them all out. And this gets again, you can use this as an example. And it's not the only one of just kind of this powerful anger and frustration that Jesus seems to have. And I want to be really clear because there's going to be a point where I'm going to say something negative about the way that we get angry. I want to make sure we're clear. I'm not talking about this kind of emotive response that you immediately have. Something happens that makes you mad. That's not what I'm talking about. This instinct that we have, this natural emotional reaction we have to things. Man, I'm not ever going to sit here and say, man, you have to learn to control that and never feel anything negatively, right? What I'm talking about is that thing that happens next. So when I say, we sh- if I say, hey, we shouldn't be angry, that's the thing that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, ooh, ugh. I'm talking about that thing that you do, that you do next, right? But this is, I'm not going to argue, this is, this is a good example of Jesus getting angry. Let's look at this other story. This is in John chapter 8, and it's the story of, G- of the woman caught in adultery. You may or may not be familiar with that. It has the phrase, the person who was out sin can cast the first stone. So you may be familiar with that if you've heard that phrase before. It's in John chapter 8, starting in verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, there they are, the bad guys. Teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Now, if we were going to just, if we're going to be teaching this passage in depth, there'd be one thing that I want to make sure that you understand it. And even though we're just kind of talking about a different context, I still want us to catch this because this is a horrible part of the story that I think gets overlooked. These, these, These Pharisees, they said, hey, Jesus, we found this woman and we caught her in the act of adultery. So they they caught her doing it, and yet they bring to Jesus exactly one person, when in fact there were were two people there, right? There were two of them, that they just brought her. This was a setup. My guess is, is the other one is in the crowd with them. They set this woman up and are bringing it, which is just awful, it's terrible. It is, it, is, it is horrible to this woman, and it just shows that they, they, they have a horrible attitude. And it, and it says such in verse 6. They were using this question as a trap. 
in order to have a basis for accusing. This is not some spontaneous, oh, look, we just happened to have found a woman who was caught in adultery. Oh, there's Jesus. So it's not, no, no, no. This was, this was a setup to, to harm Jesus and ultimately to harm this woman too. Continuing in verse 6. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, this is the most intriguing part of the story to me. It doesn't say what he was writing. It doesn't say scribbling. It doesn't say doodling. It says he was writing. He was writing something. And whatever it was he was writing, I think, influenced the story. And it's on my list. I don't know if you have a list. I have a list of things I need to ask Jesus about. And this is on this, dude, what were you writing? What, what was that? Some people say heaven's going to be so cool that you're going to forget your list. I'm... I'm not. I'm not going to forget my list. And this is on the list. What on earth were you writing? But he wouldn't say anything. He's just writing something. When they kept on questioning, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Possibly some particular verses that, they, that, that it's some sins that they had committed. Maybe, maybe the first parts of a story that he knows that they didn't know he knew. I don't know. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So I don't know if you've ever heard this verse, this idea being used, or if you've ever used it yourself. If someone says, hey, that's not good. Don't do that. That's sin. That what you're doing is sin. Hey, if a person without sin can't throw the first stone. And we use this as a defense mechanism to say, you, you can't tell me, right? Which is just kind of this, how do we, what does this passage mean? It means you can't tell me. You tell me, you, you, you're a sinner too, so you don't get to tell me. That's how we use it. And the big idea that we get from this passage, which again, I don't disagree with, is this, that Jesus doesn't condemn people, so neither should you. Because what Jesus says, are, I don't, is anybody here left to condemn you? She's like, no. I don't condemn you either. And so the, I think the, a major idea, a major point of this story is this idea is that Jesus is not condemning this woman, even though... She doesn't deny that it happened. He doesn't deny that it happened. He's like, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to condemn you. And so the Pharisees shouldn't condemn her either. Like, so Jesus doesn't condemn. You shouldn't condemn. And so we use these stories. And I don't, again, I don't think that we've missed the big idea. I mean, Jesus does. There are things that get Jesus really, really upset. And... You know, Jesus, in the very face of, of a situation where a woman had committed, be considered a very significant sin, he chooses not to condemn her. And the idea is, is that we shouldn't either. I agree with these two ideas. But again, one, we've got to figure out how to put them together, right? How does, how does a Jesus who doesn't condemn get so angry at them? And what does condemn mean? What does, it, what does it really mean? And so we put these stories together and to really understand them, I, I want to help us because when we can put, really understand what is going on in these two stories individually and can put them together, I think, again, head and heart, I think in our brains we can have a more full understanding of who Jesus is. And so go back to that first one. Jesus does get angry, but I want to say this, that his anger is very different than yours. His anger is different than yours. 
It, it just is. Now, I'm old, and I look around. I see also some old. So some of us here are old enough to remember the great phenomenon from probably about 25 years ago of the what would Jesus do bracelet, right? At WWJD, it would be on your little bracelet right here. And the idea of it is, is you're in a difficult situation, and you're not sure what to do. You're like, oh, I don't know what to do. Right. And, and, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then you would know, and then you would know. And even then, even when I was young, this was going, I was like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't think, I don't think this is the best. I don't think it's the best thing because I don't know that it's particularly because there is it. Let's say that there's a category difference between you and Jesus. There's you. And then there's Jesus and he's on a completely different level. And just because Jesus would do something doesn't mean you should do it. And just because Jesus didn't, doesn't mean you should. The best example of this is, oh man, I'm kind of really struggling whether or not I should date this girl. I think I want to marry her. I'm not sure what to do. Checks bracelet. No, Jesus didn't. You shouldn't. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Just Jesus, he had a different thing going and he's fully God, which you aren't. And so Jesus can have a full confidence that the way that he is expressing his frustration and his anger is completely and totally in line with God and his values. Can you have that same level of confidence? When James 1, um, James actually addresses this idea. He says, listen, listen, all of you guys, you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because, boop, 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 the anger of people does not achieve the righteousness that God requires. The way you express anger does not bring about in your life the thing that God wants. It just, it just doesn't. The way that you express it it, 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 it just doesn't. And so I ask you, do you, do you find that to be true? Again, the fact that there, is, there are things in this world that go on that upset you, well, of course, of course. But how you express it, do you feel like that when you express your anger, it achieves the kind of character in your life and the result in your life that God wants? So your spouse says something to you you don't like, and you tell him, you tell her in no uncertain terms, I can't believe you said this to me. Do you, after you express that, do you think, I have, whew, I've made the world a better place. Our relationship is on a level that I've never seen before. This, this helped so much. I'm so glad I told her like it is. You're scrolling social media and someone says something that is just so outrageous and stupid that you feel the need, like as God's chosen one, to kind of say, I need to express to them both the stupidity and immorality of this idiotic opinion that you have just expressed. Beep, beep, boop, 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 boop. And you're like, I have totally made the world a better place. I, I, I did it. High fives all around for everyone. No, it just doesn't work. And so that's why it says, be very slow to this and, and be very careful about how you respond because just because Jesus got angry doesn't mean whatever you do when you get angry is Okay. And in addition to that, I think we need to be really clear, what was it that made Jesus angry? We've got these people who are supposed to be part of God's temple, conducting business, and they are inhibiting people who don't really know God the way that the Jewish people do. They are inhibiting their ability to worship. 
And this is just one of the examples. There's a couple others. Again, it's, it's always these Pharisees, right? And there's a couple of particular insults that Jesus uses on them that are pretty devastating. One is he calls them like, you're, you're like a snake pit, like a, like a snake's nest. You're the kind of place that you look at it and, oh, this is kind of a nice little grassy area. This is really nice. And you put your hand down there, and next thing you know, you're bit and you're dead. That's what you guys are like. You're like just snakes hiding in the grass, making it look real nice, and then eventually you're going to kill people. That's what you're like. Oh, let me tell you what else you like, and this is the worst one. You're a whitewashed tomb. You're like this tomb, and we work really, really hard, and we, and we make it real clean, and we make it real nice, and it's real shiny, and look at it. It's beautiful on the outside, but inside there is nothing but decay, rotten, smelly death. That's what you're like. Oh, that's real sweet, Jesus. Yeah. What was it? And it was always with them. It was always in the context of their hypocrisy and how their hypocrisy was hindering people's ability to connect with God. Either because of just their character in general or because they were asking people, saying the only way that they could live in a standard that would be good enough for God is to achieve all these rules and to do all these things. And you're saying that and you can't even do it. So you're a hypocrite and you're hindering people's ability and belief that they can connect and love and serve God. So Jesus' anger seems almost exclusively reserved for his people that were inhibiting others from being able to find God. So if, if there's ever a time where I feel like my frustration is, my anger is justified, it's when I see the inevitable headline. Local pastor, pastor of big mega church, dot, 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 dot. New, new uh, bombshell report, denomination, da, 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 da. and you're just like, that's what we do. I can't believe we're doing this again. Where supposedly God's people and the leaders of God's people are out there doing this, doing these things, sexually um, harming people, stealing money, and showing and telling the world, man, this just hypocrites. I that seemed to be the kind of thing. It does not seem, and again, this is how Jesus' anger is different than yours. It does not seem they had any anger for people who don't follow God behaving poorly. He didn't seem to have a problem for just sinners being sinners. That did not be the thing that got him angry. He seemed to reach out to them with compassion where he says to the woman, he says, I don't condemn you either. However, that is not the only thing that Jesus says. Well, I mean, let, me, let me say this first. I, I got I to make sure I say this. Because there's some of you, I was like, we're sitting here talking about how sometimes we take Jesus and we kind of conform him into what we want him to say. And some of you may be sitting here thinking, man, I've heard you talk like this before. That Jesus doesn't want us to be all angry out there and he wants us, he wants us, you know, I've heard you say this before. And he's like, Charlie, I feel like maybe you're doing the thing that you're saying we're not supposed to do. You pick the, you got to pick the stories, you pick the two stories and you get to pick what you say about them. And you've crafted these two stories in such a way where like, now all of a sudden now, hey, Jesus is saying the thing that you've been saying all along, stop being so angry out there. And I want you to know that that's not how this has worked. 
This is not me finding some story to justify what I am. I'm telling you, what this is, is the result of me. I found these stories and God had to change me to make me like this. Because when I was in my 20s, man, I said some things. I hurt some people. In public, in public ways, I would, I would condemn things and I would get angry and I would take these stands that I thought were so right. They were based on truth. And I hurt people. And I thought this week about maybe sharing some of those stories. And I just, honestly, I don't, I don't want to. And it's not because I'm overly ashamed of them. Obviously, I'm ashamed of them. But I don't, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to give them a whole lot of life because just for the first part, it's like, if you're in your 20s, I'm, 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 if, if somebody in their 20s, oh, look, somebody in their 20s did something stupid. I'd be like, I'm 50. I get it. I get it. We're just still learning and understanding. So I'm not trying to give myself too hard of a time for who I was 25, 30 years ago. But at the same time, there was a dude, he was really angry. It felt like he was right all the time. And because he was right, he got to say and do whatever he wanted. And it's actually these stories and a deeper understanding of who Jesus actually is. I'm not shaping Jesus into that. I'm hoping Jesus is shaping me into what he is, which is the attitude that we need to have. And so his anger is different in yours. And then also when he says to this woman, he says, hey, listen, I don't condemn you either. But this is the only thing he said. He said, I don't condemn you either. Now go and leave your life of sin. So Jesus doesn't condemn, sure, but the reason he doesn't is because sin and sinners, sin and sinners are already condemned. In John chapter three, it says the exact same thing. This is right after everybody's favorite poster board in the crowd at the sporting event verse, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him could not perish but have eternal life. Here we go, verse 17. For God did not send Jesus in the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And then verse 18, he says, because sin, the world, it's already condemned. Sin and sinners already have their judgment. And we make sure that we use these words correctly because this don't throw the first stone also kind of gets lumped in with the verse in Matthew where Jesus says, don't judge Unless you're going to, because you're going to be judged. Don't judge. Don't judge me. So we use this. Like, don't judge me. Don't, you can't, can't say it's you throw it for some. We use these words and we use them to say, I can't tell you and you can't tell me what you're doing is wrong. Stop that. But obviously that's not what that means because Jesus says in one sentence, not two different stories, not two, not two different parts of the story, in the same sentence, he says it. I don't condemn you. You need to stop what you're doing. I'm not going to judge you, but you got to stop. You got to leave this. You cannot do this anymore. It's all one idea. The idea of condemning is to, again, it's kind of make you think of like, like, like with a judge. I'm going to declare you guilty and I'm going to give you a sentence. That's what the condemnation is. I'm going to give you a sentence. But the sentence has already been declared. Romans 6 says this, the wages of sin, the payment, the the result of sin, the penalty for sin is death. We have a rotting, decaying world. We have people who are dying, people who are hopeless, people who are separated from God. That That is the condemnation. 
And Jesus didn't come to make that happen. It was already true. He said, I wanna, I'm coming here to save you from that. And then in this moment with this, with this woman, he says, I don't condemn you. I'm not going to add my rock to your already heavy sentence. You have been condemned already. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure she's not sitting there thinking, well, man, this is a great, what a, what a great day. I can't believe I was, I was sitting there with my, a guy I thought was my boyfriend and now here we are and well, this is great. Well, at least I didn't get, I mean, she's, she's gotta be filled with overwhelming shame. And, and whatever shame and hurt and pain is going on in her life, which is causing her to act out in a way that she knows is inappropriate. And Jesus looks at that and is like, the, the, the real consequences that you're experiencing now and the condemnation that is already on sin in general, I'm not going to add my rock to that. And this is what Jesus has called us to. Sure, there is a world out there that any number of things that you could say you could be upset about. People who are doing things, people who are hurting each other, people who are doing things that are, that are, that are inappropriate to God, that are clearly sinful, I'm just saying, don't add your rock. Don't add your rock to it. When Jesus said, leave your life of sin, what do you imagine the tone of his voice being? Is no one here to condemn you? No, sir. Well, I don't condemn you either. Now go and leave your life of sin. Anybody here to, anybody left? No, sir. Well, I don't condemn you either. I'll leave your life sin. No. His heart broke for people who were living under the condemnation of sin. And he had some things to say for sure. He had some things to say to us. He has some things to say to us when we don't represent him well. When our hypocrisy and what we're contributing and what we're giving out there to the world, the way that we're modeling, modeling who Jesus is, the way that we're telling them the path to get from where they are to life with God, when we make that harder than it needs to be, when we make it harder than it needs to be, or when our hypocrisy is an obstacle for them, Jesus has some strong words to say to us. But it seems that he's only got heartbreak for the people out there who are still living under the condemnation of their sin. So we've got this really complex version of Jesus who really does, he really doesn't like sin, he really hates it. it gets, some of it, you really get him upset. But you also have this great, kind, compassion, gracious Jesus. And we've got to learn to kind of sort all these things out because very often it's like, well, I think about me. Well, how does Jesus think about me? He's like, well, people don't, I, people get, don't judge me. What about us? Well, you know, we have expressions. You know, we're not, we're not perfect. We're just, we're just forgiven. But the world, death and awful and terrible, I can't believe. I think we've got it all mixed up. I, th I think we understand a lot of the basic principles. I just don't think we're applying them well. When I think about me, I, am, I need to invite people into my life to say, hey, that's sin. You shouldn't talk like that. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't be like that. And then with each other, we need to hold each other. We need to make sure that we're not making the path to the gospel harder than it needs to be. 
And we can't let our hypocrisy get in the way of people finding who Jesus is and really experiencing this gospel. And then what we have for people out there is the compassion of Jesus. I don't have a rock to give you, but I wish you would stop and find life in Jesus instead. Let me pray. God, I do, I pray. I pray that we would represent you well. God, you came to this world not to condemn, but to save. God, we do, we feel the weight of sin. I know the world does. The anger, the frustration, the desperation, the hopelessness, the fear, it's everywhere. Our world and the people in it is decaying. God, I just pray we would go out there not with rocks, but with compassion. And that God, that we would hold each other and hold ourselves to a standard of accountability to not let hypocrisy, greed, and immorality be a barrier between people and the gospel. And that God, that we would never make it harder for people than it needs to be that they need to follow all our rules and do all these things, but God, that they can come and find your son, Jesus Christ, his death and the gospel, that they can find it for free in a loving place where they can belong. And God, I pray in what we say and what we do, we bring compassion and love and life to a world that needs it. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.